Welcome, Peregrinos, to the El Camino de Santiago Pilgrims podcast, where we talk all things planning, preparation, and packing, as well as tips, tricks, and hacks to make your journey to Santiago more enjoyable. I am your new host, Andrew Baker, from Austin, Texas, and I am so grateful to have the privilege to carry on the torch of the El Camino de Santiago Pilgrims podcast. Today, we welcome Frank Horrocks from London. Buen Camino, Frank. Thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who don't know, Frank is part of my Camino family. Frank coming live from London. How are you doing, Frank? Buen Camino, Andrew. I'm doing very well, thank you, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. It's um, quite a day for regime change. This is the (laughs) first time I am hosting the Camino de Santiago Pilgrim podcast. It's been quite the honor, and it's even more of an honor to have you as my first guest. Thank you. The honor is all mine, if you don't mind me saying so. It's an absolute honor to to be the first guest for you. So Frank is somewhat of a Camino veteran. Um, He's not one of the guys you'll run into that's maybe walked it 10 or 15 times, but Frank, you've walked it, what, three times? Uh. Well, last year would have been our fifth year if COVID didn't get in the way. So four years in a row, I've walked it or along certain areas of it. And you've walked only the Camino Frances, correct? Yes. Last year, we were going to walk up from Porto. My friend Dan and I, we were going to go the Portuguese route, but that sadly didn't happen. So all the four years previously, yeah, Camino Frances. So I had the pleasure of meeting Frank after strolling, well, let me clarify, limping into Zabiri uh, over a year ago, uh, the summer of 2019, and Frank was underneath that lovely medieval bridge, uh, soaking his feet in the cold water like so many pilgrims often do. And I decided I'm going to skip checking into my albergue right away, and I'm just going to join him, offer him a bottle of wine, which the, a group of us ended up drinking straight from the bottle and uh, ended up striking or, you know, uh, creating the beginning of a really good friendship that we we still keep in touch today. Um, But Frank, thank you so much for, again, being my first guest. No, thank you, Andrew. Yes, I do remember you rocking up with that bottle of wine (laughs) in the middle of the day, in the midday heat. We're all trying to get chilled. Um, And yeah, you you made quite an impression, Andrew. You made quite an impression. A good one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Uh, Let's get right into this because this Mm -hmm. is the podcast where we discuss all things Camino de Santiago, but more importantly, um, the ways to prepare for it mentally, physically, the gear you need to take with you, um, and and maybe the the lessons that we want to pass on to the pilgrims out there who would like to walk it again, or for those who have yet to walk the way of St. James. Of course, absolutely. Always here to help. So let me ask you this. You've walked it four times. When you arrive in Santiago de Compostela, what is the reason that you give to those in the pilgrim office of, of why you've walked? Um, that is a very good question. I, I can't remember. Um, it's, I, you know what? When I first started doing this, it wasn't for any kind of spiritual reason or anything like that. It was just something that a friend of mine um, and myself had always spoke about doing. And then I ended up doing it with another friend um, called Dan. He'll be mentioned a lot because uh, I've walked every Camino with Dan. Um, and my reason was just to walk it to begin with. Um, and then all other reasons become become quite apparent. I mean, a lot of people walk it for spiritual reasons or personal reasons or to get over something or to think about something or about making, a, you know, th- th- there's always some quite profound reason why many people are doing it. Um, and I didn't think there was one when I first did it. And then it became quite obvious that when you're walking, you do just inevitably start to think and pontificate on life and what you're doing and where you are and how you're going. So even without thinking about it, um, I ended up thinking about those things while I was walking on it and going over certain things in my life that maybe I, you know, I had time now to think about and to look from a very separate perspective. One of the nice things is you're, you know, you're doing something that you're not used to. So you can, you can look at your life from the, out, from the outside in, so to speak, if that makes any sense. Um, and the, re- the reason I gave at the start was just because I wanted to walk it. Um, and that's, that's the only reason I gave when I got to the end, although deep down I knew that there were profound things going on inside me. Um, and I did. It has changed me somewhat. I'm, I'm fully there. There has been some change in me since doing the Camino. And I'm very glad of that. So 
let, let me ask you this. And, and through all of our conversations, I don't think I've ever asked you this. For, for me as an American, the Camino is something that um, you have to have someone kind of introduce it to you because it's so far removed from American culture and society for, for most of us. Uh, but you as a Brit, it's, it's really close by. It's, it's something that um, you can take a quick flight you know, uh, across the channel and, and get over to Spain and um, you're there. When did you first learn about the Camino? Um, I had a friend, like, so a friend of mine, as I mentioned previously, not Dan, another friend I went to university with, we'd always spoken about doing some kind of long trek across Europe, and he brought up the Camino de Santiago, um, and that was the only reason it was in my mind. And after that, various things happened, we never walked it, and then ended up working at this new place um, about four or five years ago, and I got, I met my friend Dan, and we ended up working in the same team, and just one night in the pub after work, we were talking about maybe doing something like that. And I said, well, what about the Camino de Santiago? I think either I mentioned it or he mentioned it. And if he mentioned it, I was like, oh my God, yeah, I've been meaning to do this with a friend. We should totally do this. And I didn't know Dan that well at this point. We'd only really known each other for a couple of months. And then we just thought, screw it, let's just, let's just do it. Um, and you make a very good point because there are, uh, there are a lot of Americans we met over the years. And, and it always astonishes me that there's not more Brits because it's so much closer um, than it is for America. I mean, you guys have to invest a fair amount of money and time to come and do the Camino. And for us, it's, it's, it's much less than that, I would have thought. Um, and I'm surprised there's not more Brits on it. I mean, the year that I was with you, that was the most Brits we saw, I think, at a young age. Yeah, it, I was astonished by the amount of English speakers. It's one of the things that um, initially when I traveled to Spain for the first time, I was a little intimidated being in Texas. Uh, we're close to Mexico and we have uh, quite a fair number of, uh, of Spanish speaking here. Uh, but my, my Spanish wasn't fluent. You know, I'm not like Bradley who uh, lived in the Canary Islands, immersed myself into the culture. Speaking of that, how, how did you deal with that? You speak or you have a somewhat of a Spanish heritage um, <laughs> I mean, a distant Spanish heritage. Um, how did how did you deal with the uh, the language barrier? Well, so I've always had a sort of a, a slight grasp of Spanish. Um, so, sort of, I suppose you could say, sort of a schoolyard Spanish. I can speak, so I can ask for things. I know how to, I know how to ask for directions. Things. So, sort of functional Spanish. I can speak. If it moved on to a conversation, I would just sort of nod and say "cc," and then hopefully somehow extricate myself from that conversation without embarrassing myself. So I can get by. I mean, Dan didn't speak any Spanish whatsoever. Um, in fact, he kept using Italian instead of Spanish, which made me laugh. Um, he, he always would, even when I told him what to say, he'd be like, see, or something, and be like, that's Italian. Um, but yeah, I can't really complain too much because my Spanish isn't as good as it really should be, because you're right, I do have, I have South American heritage, um, but they just weren't languages. My mother didn't impose those, that language upon me very strictly. And when I was at school, it was French and German, although I'd pay no attention to German because who does? Um, but French is the one I, I, I learned a lot more. But I have picked up Spanish over the times of visiting my relatives. So when it came to asking for rooms or dinners or what's in dinners and just sort of functional things, I could get by. I would recommend anyone just to take, take a, a Spanish phrase book um, or take a dictionary and just have a look at it and use it as a basis. I mean, the Spanish won't speak English. Um, they're as stubborn as the French and why should they? You know, you're in their country, you should speak their language or at least try to. And, and when you try to, they were a lot more, they're a lot more open um, and a lot more helpful as well. Um, so it hasn't been too bad for us. I do know for some other people, I mean, it did get to the point where people were asking me to, to book their rooms and things like that, which I reluctantly agreed to because I thought I knew more than I did and I didn't want to look like a douchebag to them. Uh, so I did that and it did help. But um, yeah, taking a small phrase book or a small dictionary and just trying to get a few few functional phrases out there is, is, is I would say, key. It's very key for that. Speaking of the Spanish people, um, I, I think for an American, sometimes you can uh, view them as wildly warm, yet sometimes you can view them cold in the service industry aspect. Um, and I just want to completely <laughs> clarify that because a, a lot of yeah, Americans are accustomed to our, our service industry people being warm, trying to earn that tip. Um, but, but one thing that I actually really appreciate the Spanish is that aspect. Like they're very straightforward um, in my experiences. They're, what can I get you to drink? And you know what? They may take their time getting your food order. Oh, they take their time. Your drink. <laughs> um, was, was, 
there, there, there's something that some kind of advice that you could give to future pilgrims um, regarding of, of what to expect culturally from the Spanish. Well, for American pilgrims, I would say definitely have some patience. The service industry and their views on it and how it, how they do it is very different to you guys. It's quite different to the English as well. Um, but once you realize, I mean, there's one time when I, my, Dan and I were walking with these two New Zealand girls and one was a vegetarian and we stopped at an albergue and we asked, you know, do you have a vegetarian option? She said, yes, this soup. And she ordered the soup and when he got it, there was bacon in it. There's bacon bits in it. And she went, and my friend, so I had to ask and said, look, there's bacon in it. And she went, yes. And I said, but this is a vegetarian soup, isn't it? And she went, yes. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. There was, that was just, there's nothing else to the story. We just had to take out the bacon bits ourselves. It doesn't matter. I mean, that wouldn't happen in England and that wouldn't happen in America. You know, they'll be like, oh, so sorry, Jesus, I didn't know, you know, and they'll take away the thing. But that doesn't happen in Spain. You you kind of get what you're given. It's it's kind of like a harsh mother's warmth, if you know what I mean. Um, have no expectations I'd, for, for the Camino, for anything when you go to have no expectations. Um, they're not horrible. They're not rude. They are just brusque in their own way. Um, and they do things in their own time. Um, and I guess you just need to sort of try and accommodate that or be aware of it. It's not always great, but you can laugh sometimes. It, is, it can be quite funny. <laughs> well, let's move on to, uh, I believe, the subject matter that a lot of listeners love to hear about or fascinated to hear about. It. And that's preparation. Um, mm. Frank, you are by far maybe the fastest walker I've ever walked with, uh, for, for, let me share this experience. Frank was the, the one in our Camino family that would arrive at the town or destination town a good two or three hours before anyone else. Uh, he would wake up usually five thirty six in the morning. He'd arrive in the town, maybe 11 AM. And he would just kind of explore the town, kind of figure out what the best albergue was. Um, and then he would book all of our beds. Uh, so, you know, those of you that showed up later and all the beds are booked, yet you notice there weren't that many pilgrims there, you have guys like Frank to blame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but Frank, um, t- talk a little bit about your preparation, because I- I'm assuming that's not just all God-given foot stamina. Um, well, I've always liked walking um, and I don't like running. So I've found a happy medium, I think, in kind of fast walking. Um, that's the best I can say, but it's always good to have a good pair of shoes. So preparation always starts with shoes. And you'd be surprised the amount of people um, we've all met, my friends that I met in the community, like you guys and others in previous years. We've met people who have simply been given the wrong advice regarding shoes or just bought shoes they thought were good. And they've totally destroyed their feet. Like lost, we're talking about lost, lost you know, toenails cut up feet, blisters beyond imagination. Um, a good pair of socks, two good pairs of socks, and a good pair of walking shoes or sturdy trainers. And they, if you're not sure about them, do spend a couple of weeks wearing them in um, and in different terrains as well. That's the most important one. I mean, I was very lucky. I got a very good pair of shoes I love, and I need to get them redone now because I'm loath to get to get rid of them. I bought some new ones last year and they just don't, they don't, they're not as good at all. And so the ones I got previously for the four years that I walked the Camino, absolutely amazing. Mammoths they are. Uh, I'm not being paid by them to, to say that. Um, but they were just so comfortable and durable. Uh, and I hardly got any blisters the whole time I was there. Um, so footwear is absolutely important. And you really do need to, you know, do some research into, into what to get and what suits your foot. Um, and how your foot is when walking long distances in heat. Because the heat in Spain it's not like any other heat. It's very, you might agree with this, Andrew. I mean, you're from Texas. You know Texas heat. But the, the, the sun in Spain is very personal. It's, um, you just feel it's beaten down on you and no one else. Um, so that needs to be taken into consideration. Definitely. Frank, you mentioned that you only brought two pairs of socks. Now that I re- think back upon it, you had one of the smaller packs um, that I can remember. Uh, t- talk a little bit about the gear, maybe the the you know numbers of pairs of clothing that you brought with you, um, because it seems like you traveled kind of light. Would you mind sharing some of the essentials and, and not just the essentials, but also the amounts that you brought with you? Sure, of course. Um, so my, my point of view is I'd, I'd want to travel light. You don't need to travel too much. In the, in this, in the summer or the time around the Camino, it's hot. You will walk early in the morning to lunchtime and then you can wash your stuff 
that afternoon and it'll dry within an hour or so in the Spanish heat. So you can keep using the same clothes. So I would just take two walking t-shirts, although to be honest, I only ever wore one. Um, and then I would take a, a pair of walking shorts, um, two pairs of walking socks or walking shoes, and then clothes for the evening. So just a t-shirt, another pair of shorts. I usually just had swimming shorts because it's always good to go in pools and rivers. So that would be my, my sort of two pairs, my, my walking clothes, which would be two, two t-shirts, a pair of shorts, two pairs of socks and the shoes. And then my after the walking clothes, which would be a t-shirt, um, another pair of shorts, swimming shorts, I used to use flip-flops. But I also have in my pack um, a pair of long walking trousers and a fleece, just in case it got a little bit chilly. But I hardly ever use those. You know, that, that's the one thing that I really regretted on my Camino experience of not bringing was a long sleeve shirt. The only thing I could use to really keep the cold one. out was um, uh, a rain a rain jacket. Oh yeah, that's right. You did, yeah. Though those those early mornings in the Pyrenees, and then again again in Galicia, um, where the nights were just chilly, regardless if you were in early August, they were just cold and misty at times, and they, they tend to sneak up on you to where you're just kind of shivering walking around some of these towns in the late evening. Um, is, is there something that looking back on your four Caminos that you wish you would maybe in your next one bring with you? That's a really good question. And I did actually, I did, yeah, I forgot about Galicia actually. It, it does, it does get quite cool in the evening and early in the morning. They're definitely fleece wearing weather and, and long trousers weather until you get warmed up. Um, something I wish I'd brought, um, a decent hat. I've never managed to get a decent hat. Like I, I had one at the start of the first couple of years and it was pretty ropey, but I had to use it. And then the last two, I lost it. I don't know what happened to it. And I ended up buying one in, in San John, which is vastly overpriced and horrible. I mean, a little bit of vanity was going on there. It just didn't look very nice. So I never wore it again. So a nice hat, a nice durable hat, I think would be my one. Um, and I'd recommend anyone to take some kind of head headwear because as I said, the sun does beat down on you and you know you can easily get sunstroke or heat stroke without even realizing it, despite being in Northern Spain. Yeah, even as a Texan where we're used to um, you know, summer days and the triple digits Fahrenheit or the, the mid forties, uh, Celsius, it, it does get extremely warm, especially when you're walking in the Meseta, um, definitely recommend all pilgrims, regardless oh, of how, yeah. regardless of how great your hair looks to, <laughs> to, yeah, to thing. bring my, some my kind of headwear. <laughs> you know, an, another thing that I brought with me, um, that I would like to add, and I, I believe some of the past uh, guests on the, the podcast have mentioned is a buff. A buff is so versatile. You can wear a, a headband to keep the sweat out of your eyes, to keep the sun off your forehead. Um, it, it's something that is just, it's relatively inexpensive and it has so many purposes. You can cover your face while you're trying to sleep at night. Um, you know, if it's, Yeah, is that it's like light. a snood? Is that like a snood? Do you know yeah, what a snood? R- roughly, yes, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. That, that, yeah, that, I definitely recommend that. They're light. They won't add hardly any weight to your pack. Take one of those. And uh, that does bring up to another thing. One thing I, uh, something to wipe the sweat off, like a sweat band or a little um, sponge, not a sponge, but like a cloth to carry. Because I sweat, I, I sweat quite a lot in walking and it's really watery. And it, it just covers your eyes. Something just to wipe that off is very useful. I've found. That's one thing I, I've I've come to a line actually, my little one. In fact, I got one when I was in the monastery at Roncesvalles. Uh, Dan found it. He said, look, this is exactly what you need. And I just carried it everywhere. That orange thing I had hanging out my pocket. I got yeah, I sweaty. I'll just, I'll just wipe it off my, yeah, you need it because you're walking here. You're going to sweat. Even with a hat or anything else, you want something to wipe the sweat off. So sometimes that is, I would say, is imperative. So uh, uh, I want to uh, go back in time with you before you walked your first Camino. For me, there was so much anxiety and fear traveling into the unknown. What were some of the the, the big scares that you had? Some of the fears that you had um, heading into the Camino, you know, with this this ancient pilgrimage you had, you know, in front of you. Um, I mean, I, I, what I want to tap into is maybe some of the listeners will relate to some of the fears you had, some of the concerns you had, and how you encountered those or how you pushed through those. Okay, so that's an interesting question because um, I'm one of these people, uh, you could call it kind of maybe slightly in the spectrum because I don't think about stuff beforehand or I don't worry about stuff beforehand. Um, so I didn't really care. I was like, it's just a long walk. It's going to be fine. 
It's a long walk in Spain. It's not a problem. Um, you may want to talk to Dan about this because Dan has these kind of things, has these kind of pre, I think, uh, he can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, he does get a bit anxious about things and how we're going to do this. And I don't. I'm just one of those people that's blase goes, what's going on here, guys? And just walk straight through, you know, I'll walk through a glass door without realising. Um, but things did come and bite you. So it, it didn't, it made itself apparent two days, my, on our first journey two days in, walking to a store, it was like a 31 or 32 kilometre day. And I'd drunk quite a lot the evening before, being an idiot, uh, hadn't drunk that much water. And then I got a little bit of sunstroke on the way. And then the walk to Storga was probably the longest slog I've done. And I've walked more kilometers in England before, but this, the sun was just so high, we were on a high plateau before we reached a Storga. We saw a Storga from the distance and it never got any closer for, for a couple of hours. It just didn't get closer. And we hadn't had any water, we ran out of water. Can you believe this? It was a really dumb move we made. We got quite complacent. And this is something that my friend and I always say, never get complacent on the Camino. Never take it for granted because it will turn around and bite you on your ass. Um, can I say ass? I suppose I can. Um, but by the time we got to Storga, <laughs> it must have been about six or seven and we were defeated. And I've never felt this way before in my life. And we, I mean, we'd actually pre-booked a really nice hotel in Astorga. And I'm so glad we did because we, as soon as we got in, we just lay on the bed for about three hours. But none of us moved. Um, and then I remember going into the bathroom and just looking at myself. I'd have never felt so devoid of energy, of of impetus, of anything. It completely sucked us dry of all that. And I was standing in the mirror thinking, I can't do this. This is weird. I'm in Spain. I'm in a city, and I'm feeling like I've been walking in the desert for well, you know, a few days. It's it's really weird. So for me, all the stuff that you talk about came while I was doing it because I guess I kind of took it for granted. And I, I took some silly liberties, like we, we should have stopped off for water when we did, but we thought we had enough and we didn't bother. We were being a bit blasé in the sun. I probably wasn't wearing my hat. You know, these kind of things that you, you kind of may take for granted in England. Um, but in Spain, when you walk in, no, it really, really slapped us into shape. Uh, and both Dan and I, at that point, actually had misgivings about carrying on. That's how serious it was. And even when I thought about it, looking in the mirror in the bathroom, it's like, I can't do this. It's like, what? How can I say this? But yet I was feeling it. My whole body was just, was done for in a sense. So yeah, that really, that really shook us up. And from that point on, I think we, um, we really took it a lot more seriously. And you have to, and you should, because despite being in, in Spain, in a European country, you know, it, it, it can, you can, accidents and, and things will happen and can happen if you're not careful or you're too blasé. So that was our little line was never, never, never get complacent on the Camino. It, it is interesting how the Camino can absolutely humble the strongest of us. Um, God, yeah. you, you know, I wanted to, I was going to ask you initially some questions uh, about how you, you know, took care of your, your feet and how you prepared your body. But, but then I remembered you literally day one, you were just a machine. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I want to stick with this, um, some of the adversity that you faced on the Camino. And is, is there another moment in your, your, your four Caminos that, that stands out to you as one that really just really humbled you and, and kind of brought you to your knees in a sense? Well, I mean, that day in Astorga, the second day, and that really did for starters, but there has been another. Um, <clears throat> and I think it might have easily been... Um, the year we met you, you know, we, we walked to that um, Bolivian town, Torre, Torre de Melina. I can't remember what it's called. I'm so bad at names. But uh, you remember the little Torres we... del Rio? Or yeah, yeah, del yeah. Rios? Torres del Rio. Yeah, yeah, Torres del Rio, I think it was. That was a long walk. Mm -hmm. um, Dan and I stopped off in this cathedral town, uh, Santa, no, not Santa Domingo del Calzada. But it has a really beautiful um, church, and we had our usual massive ice cream. Uh, which also I can't remember. The double XLs. Double XL. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, double XLs. You can only get them in Europe and Ireland. You can't get them in England. And that's another beauty of going, going to Spain. You can get these wonderful ice creams. They're massive. Double XL, guys. If you can see it, get it. Um, so we had that. And then I shot off. And it's a really barren walk from that town to Torre del Rios. And I had headphones in. But even then, it, it was so hot. And I remember a lot of people coming in that day just were just wiped from that walk alone. I don't know. The sun must have been beating stronger it was devoid of any kind of shade really and you just had to get there and I knew I just had to get there and again I started to feel kind of a store of feelings again um so that that day was was one as well and and the thing is that that was weird because I wasn't being complacent and I had plenty of water it was just 
we, and I was all on my own because, again, as you say, I do walk fast, so I, I don't really walk with people, which is a bit antisocial. But I get to places first, so we get the best rooms, right? Um, yeah, that day was pretty bad. But then the end of it, um, we got to a really nice albergue with a small swimming pool uh, and had lots of beers. Um, but yeah, I think Astorga is the worst day for me that I can remember at the moment. There may be another, but I think that's definitely is etched in my mind. I've never felt like that in my life. I, I believe the town that we met up for, uh, with y'all before that, that last push was Los Arcos. Yes, that's the one, Los Arcos. Yes, Lo well done, Andrew. Yes, Los Arcos. Los Arcos. Um, I, I remember that day. I remember the, the, the final stretch, you're just walking through these very flat, very wide open um, pastures. Yeah, and, or and a lot farmland. of dry trees devoid of any vegetation. It was, it was like walking through um, a spaghetti western uh, set. <laughs> it really, it really was. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that is one thing. Uh, for, for me, going to Spain, uh, the heat wasn't something I was really concerned about. But you bring up a good point because a, a lot of Europeans and a lot of people from around the world aren't used to that kind of heat. Um, do, do you have any tips of how to battle it? You, you mentioned, you know, bringing some headwear, headgear uh, to protect yourself from the sun. But, but how else do you combat those long Spanish days during the summer? Well, when you're walking, I mean, just drink plenty of water. I mean, that's the, that's the only thing you've really got and get in shade whenever you can. It, it all depends how good you can deal with it. I mean, I didn't, the last two years, I've, I didn't wear a hat because vainly, I didn't like the hat I, I bought. Um, so I refused to wear it. It's a really dumb reason. I'm sure the Camino bit me the ass for that one at some point, but I can't remember. Um, but yeah, just lots of water, having something to wipe the sweat off your face, because sometimes I'm walking and I can't even see because the sweat is cut, like flooding my over my eyes. It's insane. Um, so, yeah, some sort of shade, a hat, plenty of water and to just take rests when you can. And if you can rest by uh, a stream or a river or some water, take your, take your shoes off, take your sho um, socks off, put your feet in the cold water. Oh, that's beautiful. Or just put them, you know, put them in an elevated um, position to your body, just just rest them for five or ten minutes. Something Dan and I found is, is really nice. Just just air your feet for, for five to ten minutes. If you can't dip them in cold water, just hold, put them in a high elevation, and and that does help with a bit of shade and some water. So there you have it. How to battle some of the issues, the pain points with dealing with the Spanish sun. Uh, I want to go back to equipment and gear that you uh, bring with you. Frank, you mentioned earlier that you like to travel light. You like to travel ultralight in a sense. Is there a luxury item that you maybe take with you that not every other pilgrim is going to think of? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm, I'm loath to say this, but I think I'm fairly boring in this, in, on this, uh, subject uh nothing that i'm aware of that would be any different i mean the first year my traveling companion dan took his ipad with him because he wanted to create a diary of the journey which i think towards the end of it he kind of regretted because it did add a lot of weight <laughs> to it but i haven't done anything like that i mean i take my phone my recharger um oh no books it's books i just books. realized i've always i've always gone and bought like a large book to read ostensibly on the way there and then to read it and drop off somewhere, but I never quite get to finish it until the end. So I carry it with me all the way. On your year, particularly, there was, was it the year with you guys or the year before? Yeah, you were year reading before. quite a bit then. Yeah, I do, I do like to read some books, but the, the year before I bought a book I thought I'd really enjoy and it turned out to be worse slog than the, than the Walk to Astorga. It was terribly written, but I just wanted <laughs> to carry on. And I ended up carrying it all the way with me and I, I shouldn't have done. I should have just discarded it somewhere and let someone else enjoy it. I just couldn't get to it, but I, I didn't want to give it up. Um, and that's a dumb thing, you know, because that was just adding, adding weight, useless weight to something, to my bag. Well, how about on the flip side? Is there something maybe you would take just for fun, just for pleasure to make your Camino, your walk more enjoyable or, um, I don't know, like, yeah. like, like, like a cheat? Um, not so much a cheat. I would try, I would take like a, a rubber dinghy or something I could blow up and throw into the river and jump on and just sit upon. <laughs> so a float? Yeah, a float. So I'd take like a float. <laughs> We did buy one one year, but we had we gave them to the local kids, I think. But we did buy them when we were in Estella the year before. I think it was the year before you guys. 
um, yeah, we went and we went. We saw some kids coming down the river in all these um, these floats, but they they didn't. Have, they hadn't. They bought the floats, obviously, but they hadn't bought any paddles. So they were using whatever they could find. One guy had a broomstick. Some guy had a pipe. It was just so weird, and they just came round the corner of the river. We're like, where did you get those? Um, we wanted to get them. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think of all the towns that may have been the perfect town to have a float that it has that oh, beautiful like. Uh, riverside park with the trees and the shade that go into the river they have kind of a a dike um, towards one end where it dams up um, and, th and then you get to see these local kids all come up and climb in the trees and dive off of them and jump off the buildings into the river it, it's incredible yeah that's such a lovely place that it, and it's never been it's always been great there it's always been exemplary that uh, an evening there or a day there or two days there Instead, it's great. Any place to the river? Villa Franca del Bierzo, did you stop off there? You know, I was unable to enjoy that town because I was burning up with a fever then. Oh, no. So that, that was one of the town. There, so. Well, yeah, and, and, and I stopped at one of the albergues, like right when you walk into the town. It's, it's the well-known um, kind of or, organic lifestyle albergue right when you walk into town on the left. Mm -hmm. And I, I was never able to really enjoy... Um, enjoy the town just because again I was, I was just feeling miserable and as i was walking out i was like wow this is beautiful you have a beautiful river that runs right through it there's so much history to it um that that, that was something although i wouldn't trade that experience of being sick on the camino at all um <laughs> that that is something that i do regret that's fair enough well you have to go back again right you have to go back um, but there, there are many great places on the camino with rivers or pools and so it's always nice to have some. So that, that would be my luxury item. I would take something to to enhance the river or swimming pool experience, definitely. Fantastic. So that, that absolutely has to be a first um, on the El Camino de Santiago <laughs> podcast for pilgrims. Um, luxury item would be a float. Um, fantastic. I, 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 could just, I could just imagine you like lounging in an inner tube as I walked into town, just like hating That's life it. at the moment, just with, with a, an Estella in your hand. Yeah, be there'll be a beer there. And this, this float would have to have a couple of beer uh, room for a couple of other beers just on the side. And that's it. You just hang by the river, wave people in. Yeah, that albergue is free. That one's not. Come and join me. That's it. That's perfect life. So you, you mentioned some of the smaller towns uh, that were near and dear to my heart. Uh, were there any other gems of, of towns along the Camino Frances that, that stood out to you that, um, that were just special to you, that, that, that maybe weren't the, the, the big destination stops? Well, I mean, I, ha I do have to mention one because I, I love it so much, and I'm not, not sure why. It's Pamplona. I really like Pamplona, and it's, I, just, I could sit there all day by a bar in a square and just drink beer and just watch the citizens of Pamplona just do what they do. I don't know why. It just has such a wonderful energy for me. I love it. Um, other towns. Uh, there was a nice little town on the Mazitas, uh, Hontanas, I think it is, Hontanas. Uh, yes, we had right a really Burgos, good... I believe. Yes. Oh, but, but, yeah, but Burgos is fun, but yeah, Burgos is weird for me. I don't know why. I had such a nice time there, and then something just skewers it for some reason. I don't know why. I have a love-hate relationship with Burgos, but I always end up there. Um, but Hontanas was good because it just had a really nice vibe when I was there. Um, and a group of Mexican doctors apparently turned up late one night and just bought the whole bar and then basically force-fed everyone tequila. Um, <laughs> it was absolutely crazy, man. And we'd had the and that was our actual albergue, but we'd gone for dinner in albergue opposite, and that was a really nice meal. I think Dan may have taken you there two years ago when you were there with when, with us. Um, Dan took you there after I left. Um, but they're really nice service there. And then we went back to the to Alberghi and it was just a massive party. And we're like, what the hell happened? And the girl was like, I don't know. These guys just turned up and they bought everything behind the bar. I was like, what? And before I could say anything, this guy just thrust a, a large plastic tumbler in my hand and just literally emptied a bottle of tequila into it. Went, yeah, drink. And that was it. It's game over. <laughs> you, you know, it is wild. Antonis did have that same, or I had a similar experience. I, there, there was a, a pilgrim named Laurie um uh, from the uk who ended up Laurie. buying loads of jägermeister <laughs> for everybody um, sounds like Laurie. yeah exactly he, he must have like literally bought multiple bottles of jägermeister and there's only like three bars in the town or cafes mm. and he would just light them up to the point where the owners are kind of asking him to leave and 
we had him and another French pilgrim that we had to kind of carry to bed that night. I think but, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, 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 Ferdy. Um, he, uh, he, there, there is something about that town that I, I think kind of brings the animal out in you. And, it, and it's, yeah, so it's a wild. bit wild westy. I don't know why. It's a bit wild westy. Does that make sense? I, that, I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, 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 and it springs out of nowhere. You literally tumble yourself into it. You fall into it without realizing. It's, it's, it's completely unassuming. It's kind of built down and almost um, like like a ravine in a sense because. It's slightly hidden. Yes, you don't see it on the horizon. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're there. Uh, yeah, you don't see it coming at all. Well, there you have Antonis and uh, Pamplona, which I, I really felt like you and I had another great bonding moment uh, yeah. walking through the streets. Um, you were, I, I'll never forget the, the the picture of you holding two giant beers in each hand as we're navigating uh, through the countless Spaniards that are sitting around uh, the Of course, because they just area. sit everywhere, don't they? That was late in the evening, it's, wasn't it? It's and so beautiful. It. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful medieval town and it's retained... I don't know. It's just got such a good energy. It's a really positive. I just love it. I love every time I'm there. That, that, that is one thing I would like to mention to some of the listeners. If you ever have the chance to just go people watching late at night, um, obviously you don't want to miss the time, your cutoff time to, to get back into your albergue, but, but really take in that city at night. If you have a chance, there's something magical there that I've never seen in any other city in the world where all the locals will just come out and have drinks and pinchos in the middle of the streets and it, it, it's really, it's really unique. It's, it's the best way I can put it. It's, it's, yeah, it's quite unique. It's wonderful. In fact, I would say that about many, I mean, that is very much unique, but that's one of the things I've really loved about walking through Spain is that any of the smaller towns or villages, if you just sat out in the square, the same thing kind of happens. Everyone just congregates there. The kids are running about. It's like nine or 10 in the evening. Everyone's just sat there talking. No one, it's not no one cares, but everyone's just, it's just such a different atmosphere to what we're used to in England, for instance um it's a very different culture and it's it's a, it's very much a more not forgiving one but a much more laissez-faire one you could say um i remember one i can't remember what town it was but there was this bandstand and kids were just climbing all over it. in england there'll be people going get off it don't go in it don't don't you dare do this don't that. but uh, no one cared like some of the adults were just helping their kids to climb up it and stuff like that and it was just so nice because everyone was around and everyone could see if there's any problems it was just i don't know just it was really nice to sit there and just watch them all they were just having fun. That's what they were doing. And every night it seemed that they did that, just had fun in the square. So, so let's stay on this, this path. Um, was there an alberque that stood out to you that you'll always remember or the one that you have to stay in? <laughs> well, for me, since the last time was the Toro del Rios one, because he was a Bolivian and my mother's from Bolivia. And he remembered me from previous, um, from previous Caminos. Uh, and he ended up sort of weirdly making me a sort of a helper of his, even though he did actually pay me with deer. Um, that was really nice, you know, that one that with, with a really small swimming pool and the waterfall that you and Tom had pictures taken in and then Dan dived in stupidly and, and hurt himself. Um, but that was really good because a load of people came together, like everyone from different areas, um, from different albergues congregated at this albergue because it just seemed to be the most popular one and the funnest one. And that was really nice. Um, another one of quite a few years ago, I think it was in Tria Castella. It was just really nice. It was really nice, really clean. Um, and just, I can't remember what it's called, but it's in Tria Castella. I definitely know that. Um, and it was just so, so nice. You know, you just get, you open your door to your room, and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. It was just that. It was just that. And it was just so nice to, to sleep. Um, and we went to a restaurant nearby and met a few other, few other people we'd walked with, other peregrinos, had a good chat. But that one in Tria Castella was just, just nice. Just really, really nice, well kept. Yeah, I, I could stay there for a week. So there you have it in Tree Castella. And then in Toros del Rio, I, be, I believe when you walk into town, it's the first albergue. It's one of the first ones. Yeah, um, it is. You'll see it, it, they have this beautiful swimming pool in the courtyard, um, really good facilities. Uh, I, I definitely remember that that hot or that albergue very well. And, and you're absolutely right. After that very hot day, that very warm yeah, that stretch. Leg was was a killer and people came in you know out of breath and dusty and that's the first stop you get a bit of shade get a beer and then see if they've got a room the other thing i want to say about that is they were talking about buying some land on the other side of the road and they were going to build a swimming pool i really hope they've done that because 
that would be, you know, that would be a beautiful meal ticket for them if they've done that. I'm not sure if they have, but they were talking about that when I when we were there. So we've talked about towns, we've talked about albergues. Uh, is there a favorite bar or restaurant that stands out to you where you had a, a, a very memorable experience? Um, I think you could probably answer that better than me, Andy, considering your couple of days in Santiago uh, two years ago. Um, for me, uh, I, I, I don't know. There, there's been many. There's been, they're just all fun. I mean, you get, you get free food every time you order a drink. I mean, you didn't get that in England. <laughs> it's a decent <laughs> bit of grub as well. I mean, so any bar is brilliant to, in my mind. And you get a nice uh, tortilla or, um, or some cured meats. Um, no, but again, I'm going to go back to sort of the Rioja region. I mean, Logroño for the Pinchos tour, for yes. walking around the little ones. I mean, that, that has, that, there's something to be said for that. You need, you need an evening of that. I, I believe off. we spent time at the, um, the little restaurant where their specialty were the mushrooms that they would stack into like a little pyramid. Do you remember that? No, I didn't. I wasn't there for you to do that. And that's partly because I have a dysfunctional distaste for mushrooms. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Well, un unless you're Frank, there is a fantastic <laughs> little pincho bar um, in Lagrano where they're famous for their, the, these mushrooms. They, they cook them all in this giant flat top grill skillet. And they're just cooking and bubbling butter and garlic, and they just put them on a little slice of uh, of bread, and they have a little skewer through it, so it stands up in a little pyramid of, of, of mushrooms, and it's one of the most magical things. Um, a couple of our friends who are vegans, uh, I, I remember them very vividly saying that was the best thing they had on the Camino. Um, but you, you do bring up Lagroño, which is notorious for its pincho scene. Yeah, it's wonderful. Again, it's, it's like, um, it's very much like the community feel of Pamplona. As soon as you get to those little alleyways, they're just rammed full of, full of inhabitants and everyone just wheels their way through. You grab, you know, grab a glass of wine for euro, grab some pinchos for how much that costs. And you just move on and you stay there. And it's, again, it's just a hustle and bustle and it sounds busy, but no one's really moving. But I don't know, it's, it's kind of contradiction, but it's not. It's, it's busy and, and alive, but also it's just there. You're just chilling. I can't, it's not a really good way to describe it at all. It has to be seen to be believed, I think, uh, or to be experienced. So I would kind of like to get back into the, the spirit or the ethos of the Camino. Um, it, it's something you've, you have a lot of experience dealing with. Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, you touched on it. Uh, have, have there been any moments where you surprised yourself, um, maybe emotionally, um, along the way that caught you off guard, that you, you tapped into something that is unique to that moment in time that you maybe haven't experienced anywhere else? Oh, that's a really good question. And, and you know, quite profound on Andrew. I should, you know, tell me beforehand, you're going <laughs> to ask me something like that. Um, I'm sure there is. Um, I, I just guess, I don't know about affecting me. I, I, what can I say here? I just, I think the first time I ever did it, we ever walked it, um, it was more the fact, the willingness of people to help you in any situation. Like for example, my friend, we walked up Oak Sobrero, that, that grueling little up hike. Um, and we were staying at the albergue at the top of it. And we got there and uh, my friend's feet were just shot to pieces with blisters. And we got some beer, sat down and he eventually took his boots off and went, oh my God, what am I gonna do? And before he could do anything, just everyone sat around and noticed his blisters, realized he didn't know how to deal with them. And straight away, they all just came over and were just giving advice, helping him, saying this, dude. And basically, by the time they finished, his feet were wrapped up like really well. And they'd given him some ointments to use, ID and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, take it. We've got loads. And I was just taken aback with this willingness just to help anyone um, because we're all in the same kind of situation. And it was all these people were from different countries and they all hardly knew each other. But as soon as they clocked that he had, you know, bad feet and needed some help, didn't know what to do, they were on it like a rocket. It was unbelievable. I just sat there just, and from that point on, we've always tried to do that ever since. Like whenever we see someone, even if someone's not complaining, you can see that they're not walking properly or their shoes are not well done up. You go and say, hey man, you need, you know, we try and offer advice and help and things like that. Um, and that really, that really struck me um, as one of the one of the magical things of the Camino is this absolute um, uncompromised willingness to to help the other peregrino and each other. And I've seen that often 
I've seen it often over the four years and it's lovely. It's really nice. It's really cool. I've tried to explain the level of humanity that is on display um, in the Camino and, and you bring up a great example. I, f- I feel like whenever you're passing someone and they could be sitting on the side of the trail uh, on a bench eating olives, um, but everyone stops by and says, hey, is everything all right? You good? Do you need some water? It, it, it's, a, it's a level of humanity I've, I've yet to experience anywhere else in the world. Um, and, I, and if I could just add something there, and I would, I would urge anyone listening, if you're doing it and someone asks you that, if you've got any issues whatsoever, talk to them. Because I had, I had a similar thing happening, actually, um, um, uh, three years ago. I got really bad heat rash on my armpits. Um, and they got, it got really bad. I couldn't even shower. I couldn't touch it. It was like crackling. The skin was drying. And I didn't know what to do. And of course, being a male, and I kept it to myself, oh, it'll be fine. And I was walking towards a town. And as I was walking up on this bicycle came this Brazilian guy who'd weird helped a couple of days before. He's again, he was an example of buying the listening to wrong advice and getting the wrong shoes, the wrong socks. He lost a couple of toenails. And so Dan and I and a couple of other people helped him, told him what to get, told him what to do, or offered suggestions rather. And he ended up getting a bike and, and he was just cycling to meet up with this older group of uh, guys, English and French that we knew as well. And he literally just, it was so fortuitous that as I came up on the main road, he was in, he's like, hey Frank, how's it going? And I was like, yeah, it's okay. And he just like looked at me and he goes, is everything okay? And I was about to say, yeah, it's fine, don't worry about it. And then something in me said, you know, just tell him, you've helped him. And I just told him, and it turns out he was a doctor. And he goes, oh my God, I've got just the thing. And he took out his bag and he had all these lotions and stuff. He goes, use this, take it, just have it. And that completely cured my, um, or alleviated and then did that cure my, uh, my, my dry skin completely. And so if, if you're not feeling right or you're not, you're not feeling 100% uh, and someone asks you, tell them, talk to them, because you never know who, who they might be and what they might know. Um, and I nearly didn't out of male stupidity. I nearly wasn't going to tell him. I didn't want to be his problem. It's my problem. I can deal with it. That's a nonsense way to think. You know, you've got someone offers help. Ask them. You never know. And they might know someone who can, you know. But a problem shared is is a problem halfway solved. I can't remember what the actual phrase is. <laughs> <It's a terrible laughs> you, yeah, you, you were people. one of the, the, the few pilgrims that I felt like never was short of great quotes, great insight, great history nuggets. Um, I, I felt you and I, especially when we were lost on our little alternative route, um, it, yeah. it was truly a pleasure walking with you. So that's another thing I, I, want, I wanted to bring up actually is every year, um, despite walking the same route, it's never been the same route. Like somehow we found a slight deviation. It's all official. Like what we did, Andy, when we were walking, we, we went up what was clearly a Camino route but no one else was on it apart from us. And that's one of the beauties of the Camino. Like you can do the same walk and it's never the same, never the same. Of course it wouldn't be, but for, we've been very, I've been very lucky that each time I found a slightly different route somewhere or gone wrong somewhere and just found another way in. It's, it's amazing. It's a gift that keeps on giving, I think. So let me wrap things up with uh, two questions. The first one, what's something that every time you walk the Camino, every time you're on the way that you take home with you and, and, and that maybe has to be refreshed by walking the Camino? That is a very good question. Um, I don't want to sound too pretentious, but I don't know. I just feel kind of a love, a love for everything, um, especially the people you meet. Everyone is so open. Uh, there's no judgment, nor there should there be. Um, and I've never found or seen any. Um, and the sunsets and the sunrises they are just amazing yes i've, I've not seen anything <laughs> like that and i've traveled around as well it's all different but the, the the northern spain has its very unique sunsets and sunrises and i find myself taking the same pictures each year in the same place and then realizing <laughs> i've already got that picture but you just can't help yourself it's crazy i said that to dan i said dan we're doing the same pictures yet and we just carried on doing it anyway taking the same pictures um but yeah it's, it's a profound sense of i don't know oneness I don't want to sound too um, contrived, but yeah, it's, we keep going back. I mean, after the first year, we were like, shit, let's do this again next year. And then we haven't looked back. I mean, if it wasn't for COVID, we'd be doing it again last year and probably this year as well. Because it's, it's never the same experience. It's always a lot of fun and you always find something new, always. And then lastly, uh, th- this is one you're definitely going to get a laugh out of. If you had to come up with a 
song that maybe encompasses the soundtrack of uh, a Camino or a moment or a feeling, a night? Uh, is there a song that can come in or pops to your front of your mind? Well, an actual song that people might know. It could be anything. <laughs> um, oh my God, it would have to be. You remember when we went to that, I can't remember what town it was, um, but they had that carnival in the evening and we all started dancing. Oh, uh, Belorado. Yes, was it, but yes, it was Belorado. Um, yeah, of course it was. We couldn't stay in the place with the swimming pool. Um, yeah, that, that kind of music. It would have to be that. You'd have to find the video. I mean, the, the listeners won't know what I'm talking about. And I'm sure somewhere there's a video of me dancing badly, although I think it's very good. Um, it's that kind of, I don't know, upbeat music, festive music, carnival music. I don't know, just something that makes you go, oh, what? Let's go dance. And then that's it. And that's all we did, because that's basically what we did. We heard the music and then we all conjugated through the little alleyways to the main square and just started dancing and getting more beers. It is funny. It's not we the were, best dance, I'm sorry. We, we, we were led by the music and, and it really did lead us to one of those incredible moments um, mm. where they're almost serendipitous in a sense, where you're meeting people you haven't met before on the way. Um, and, and that night, we actually were able to stay up way past the normal longer, 10 o'clock. You couldn't be thinking about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, that was a really magical moment. Um, thank you so much, Frank. Uh, it's It's been an absolute blast speaking with you again. Um, I look forward to, to continuing our chats. And um, is, is there anything else you, you would like to um, maybe tell someone, someone who's on the fence about walking the Camino, that, that you would urge them? Um, well, for starters, I'd definitely say do it. Um, have no have no expectations because expectations can be destroyed and you don't want to do that. Um, just be positive, be considerate. Um, and the only, and this is something that's come up in conversation with everyone over the years I've done it, is how to explain the Camino to someone. And all we've come up with is just do it. There's no other way to explain it. The words are not sufficient to explain the feelings and what you experience on the Camino. You've, you've got to do it. And then you'll understand. That's, that's, that's all I can say on that. There you have it. You just got to do it. From Frank Horrocks from London, thank you so much, my friend. And as always, buen camino. Buen camino, Angie. Thank you. It's been an honor. You take care, my man.